Many of you are aware, I went to Mayo Clinic last month. Uh, I was losing weight, and a CT scan identified a, a growth on the pancreas. So when I went to there, I went to Mayo Clinic, I had two questions in my mind. What's my problem, and what can I do about it? Oh, thankfully, the, the pancreas tumor was benign. The weight loss was a reaction to antibiotics. is unrelated to the tumor. I don't have to get the tumor removed. They're going to keep an eye on it. And so I got my questions answered. Paul addresses these questions with respect to not a physical condition on his part, but a spiritual condition. And here's the way he describes it. What I hate, what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. A couple of things to consider at this point, Paul is writing as a Christian. He doesn't say, I was, I formally, he's talking about what is true at the time he is writing it. Um, he had to know how shocking these words would be. I think that's why he applies the description not to others, but to himself. He says, I do what I don't want to do, what I hate, I do. He understands, though, I think, that if he claims these things for himself, we would have to claim it for ourselves. I mean, how many of us are going to say, well, that might be true for Paul, but it's not true for me. In doing this, then, Paul is putting these words in our mouths. What I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Question, do these fit? Do they, do they fit in your mouth? I think we might. some of us might say, absolutely. Others of us might say, well, that's a little bit extreme, a little bit exaggerated, not quite that bad. However, what Paul is doing, he is putting these words in our mouths. And what he's saying is that they fit. Let's look at these words a little bit more closely. What Paul is aware of, he's aware of competing, conflicting desires inside. That his desires don't line up. They don't go in the same direction. We've talked about the scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. And which direction should you go? Well, this way would be good. And, and that's what Paul is saying. He has competing, conflicting desires inside. And the thing that's strange about what Paul is saying here is that he doesn't seem to blame anyone. He seems to just be observing things within himself but he's not throwing penalty flags at himself, and he's not throwing penalty flags at others. Would you agree that if we make these statements, we add things to them? What I want to do, I do not do because my parents were unfair. What I hate, I do because I am an addict. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out because I'm lazy. I do not do the good I want because I'm selfish. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing, because I'm bad. Paul doesn't blame anyone. 
He understands that his desires just don't line up. He understands that his desires were at war within him. And James says the same thing. He says in his letter, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. What he says, Paul and James say, and if they say it, we have to say it. My pleasures are at war with one another. When I please this one, I displease that one. When I please that one, I displease this one. What's my problem? Paul seems to be saying that my desires are irreconcilable. Irreconcilable. That I cannot gratify both desires at the same time because my desires don't line up. I don't want just one thing. So if I gratify this one, I don't gratify that one. If I gratify that one, I don't gratify this one. Um, it's my problem. My desires are irreconcilable. There is something else Paul says and he, in terms of what the problem is. See if you can pick it up. Here's what he, here's what he writes. For that, if our pleasures, let's not run past this so quick. If our pleasures are at war with one another, then our unmet needs are not anybody's fault. What we tend to do, I assume that if my desires are unmet, there is something wrong. There is someone to blame. It's either you or me, us or them. And we tend to feel if I don't get my needs met, if I don't get my desires fulfilled, I have the right to get angry with somebody. I have the right to blame somebody. And I have the right to fight. Um, what Paul seems to suggest is our desires are irreconcilable. And, and what that means, it seems to mean this. I can't want what I want to have. Because I don't want to have just one thing. I can't do what I want to do because I just don't want to do one thing. I can't think what I want to think. I can't feel what I want to feel because my desires are irreconcilable. And it doesn't mean I don't have anything that I want. It, it's not that I don't have enough to say I have what I want because I have this, but I don't have that. If our desires are irreconcilable, this is true. And there's no one to blame. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. It's not the government's fault. It's not your wife's fault. It's not your husband's fault. The problem is, my desires are irreconcilable. Let's go, let's see what, what else Paul says. I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. It says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, which literally flesh. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. What is my problem? There's another one here. My desires are irreconcilable, and sin is living in me. What this suggests, me is not the problem. What is living in me is the problem. Sin is living in me. Sin here is a power. When we think of sin, we think of an action, something we do, something bad we do. Sin here is not an act. It's a power. When Paul talks about sin, he is talking about a ruling power, something that exerts influence within us. Let's think of it this way, sin with a capital S and a crown on its head. Paul says that sin is living in me. And if this is true, this is what it means Sin isn't living in me because I do bad things, think bad things, or want bad things. The truth is, I want bad things, do bad things, and think bad things because sin is living in me. It's a power that will influence me. Genesis paints the same picture of sin, not just as an action, but as something that lives within us and that exerts influence within us. It says in Genesis, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must master it. Sin here is something living, something powerful that wants to pounce and take control of Cain. Jesus has the same thing to say about sin. Look what he says. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's interesting. Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What's my problem? My problem is that my desires are irre irreconcilable and that sin is living in me. Okay, next question then. What can I do about it? Sin is living in me and my desires are irreconcilable. What can I do about that? Um, Paul would have been taught growing up that there were two selves in him. There's a good self and a bad self. He would have been taught how to feed the good self so it was stronger and weaken or starve the bad self so it didn't do things. He would have been taught to exercise self-control. He would have been taught to control his sins, to control the things that he didn't want to do. Does this work? What is suggesting? Paul couldn't make it work. And if Paul couldn't make it work, you and I can't. Um, it's important to remember the problem. You can't solve a problem unless you identify it clearly. What is our problem? Our problem is my desires are irreconcilable. And is my problem with sins or is my problem with sin? Sin is living in me. Um, what can I do about it? 
what it means, I need to control sin, not sins. That might seem confusing, but up until this point in the book of Romans, Paul tells us what activates sin. Sin is a power. We've looked at it. Let's look at it briefly again. Here's what he says. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And it goes on. But what it seems to suggest, law increases sin. He goes on in Romans 7, 5, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our body to bear fruit for death. So not only does the law increase sin, the law inflames sin. And he goes on. It says, sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire, for apart from law, sin is dead. So the law innovates sin. It's hard for us to grasp how controversial these statements were at the time. Um, Paul was raised to believe that God's law is the solution. The more he devoted himself to putting God's law in his mind, Paul would have been taught the more he's going to gratify the good impulse and not gratify the bad, the more he's going to be the good self and not be the bad self. Here, Paul reveals that because of sin, God's law is the problem. Now, what Paul will say, God's law is not the law, is the smoking gun. But sin is what aims the law, and sin is what pulls the trigger. The law is not the problem. Sin yields, it, sin influences us by taking the law and creating something bad. What can I do about it? I need to control sin, not sins. And what Paul suggests here, sin's influence becomes irresistible under law. And that's what Paul seemed to suggest. If we're going to understand, if we're going to control sin as a power, what we understand is that the law inflames and innervates sin. So sin influence becomes irresistible when under law. Where does sin get its influence to, to grow stronger? We've talked about it before. Um, law is to sin what spinach is to Popeye. Remember what happens when Popeye takes spinach? He, he, gets, you know, he gets really strong. And law is what makes sin strong. Law is sin food. And this seems to be what Paul's saying. Sin's influence becomes irresistible under law. And this seems to be true. The more I try to control sins, the more I am controlled by sin. Do you understand the difference between that? The more I try to control sins, to stop doing bad things, start doing good things. The more I try to control sins, the more I am controlled by sin, because sin gets stronger when we try to exert influence over ourselves. That's what Paul figured out. If I do what I want to do, I don't do it. He understood the more I try to control sins, the more I am controlled by sin. At this point, when I've heard people talk about this passage, what usually happens, you'll talk about this and talk about its sin, and then the application is something like this. So pray more, or give more, or study more, or serve more. 
Do more of the good things and you'll be fine. Is that what Paul's saying? It, it isn't. It's, what he's going to say to us is, I need to develop new covenant faith. I need to develop new covenant faith. But Paul is going to suggest, well, we've looked at it, and he uses marital customs to help us understand uh, what his point is. He ends up saying, we've looked at this, that being under the influence of the old covenant is to be awfully wedded. And to be under the influence of the new covenant is to be happily married. Being under the influence of the old covenant is believing that God operates by old covenant vows, that he says, I'll bless you if you obey and curse you if you disobey. To be under the new covenant is to believe that God keeps those vows, and God's old covenant vows and new covenant vows are not the same. You can't mix them up. It's either one or the other. Um, how do we go from one to the other? And this is where Jesus comes in. It says... You also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Do you understand what that's saying? Through Christ, you died to the law through the body of Christ so that you could belong to another. To belong to another is to belong to Jesus. You can be married to the old covenant and married to the new covenant, but you can't marry both at the same time because that's polygamy spiritually. What Jesus came to do, he came to die so that we could divorce or die to the old covenant and marry the new. And we looked at this. This is why Jesus died. Jesus died to terminate our relationship with the old covenant. And Jesus died to initiate, to initiate our relationship with the new covenant. I need to develop new covenant faith. Here's what the new covenant says. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, but they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. What Paul is suggesting is in order to win the war within, we have to understand what this passage is saying. This is the new covenant to the degree that this passage is what we think of when we think of God. To that degree, sin as a power is weakened and we have the ability to choose that which is good. Um, here's a way we've talked about kind of what God I think says to us is I'm still in you and I'm still with you and good still ahead of you guaranteed. This is what the new covenant says. When we do bad things, when we do wrong things, what God says, I'm still in you, still with you, good still ahead of you guaranteed, but I'm pulled by irreconcilable desires and sin is living in me. And what God says, I know that. I know that. And I'm still in you. And I'm still with you. And good still ahead of you guaranteed. But, but I'm split. I'm still in you. And I'm still with you. And good still, but I don't do what I, I'm still in you. And I'm still with you. But it's not the good, I, I'm still in you. And I'm still with you. And good still ahead of you, guaranteed. As that gets into our thinking, what we end up doing 
is we end up being able to admit and accept like Paul does. We end up observing ourselves and being able to admit that I'm pulled in different directions. But that doesn't mean that God has let go of my hand. And this is what Paul learned to do, to hold the tension of irreconcilable desires and sin living in. You know what Paul figured out? He couldn't win the war within. He had to learn to live with it. And that's what you and I have to do. As long as we are immortal spirits in mortal bodies, we will struggle with the war within. We can't win it. You know what we can do? We can't live with it. How can we live with it? By admitting it and admitting that even though I struggle with it. Well, but God says, I'm still in you. I'm still with you. Good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. I want you to imagine that you leave your kids at home. And your kids aren't getting along very well. Okay, They're not getting along, but you have to go to do something. And then you come home and your kids have been fighting like cats and dogs. And you come home and you say, well, how is everyone? Well, fine. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> That's not a good sign. Um, you know what God understands? That our desires are irreconcilable. And that we have sin living within us. And we talk to God. And rather than admit that we're pulled in different directions, we feel ashamed that we do. We feel there's something wrong. And we say, God says, well, how are you doing? I'm fine. <coughs> how can you be fine if God understands your desires are irreconcilable and sin is living in you? To say, I'm fine, again, it doesn't mean everything, but that doesn't make much sense, does it? You know what God wants us to do? to get to the place we can trust him enough to say what Paul said. You know what, God? I want to serve you, and a part of me doesn't. And we start to admit that. You know what God says? Finally, you can tell me the truth, and you can be honest with me. That's what, that's what I think Paul figured out here. Um, the only way to escape being under the old covenant is to embrace the new. Like, again, this is in... Think about this. We can't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. You understand what that's like, right? Try to think about that. You know, the analogy, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Um, okay, I got my bootstraps here. You know, I got them. I can't, I can't pull myself up by the bootstraps. We can't do that spiritually. What we have to do spiritually is embrace the new covenant. And what the new covenant will do, and I have to make this sound, it, it sucks us out of the old. We grab onto it. Make room for the new covenant in our mind. And little by little, the idea that I'm still in you and I'm still with you and good's still ahead of you guaranteed. Little by little, we start to accept the reality of the world within. We, we end up understanding that God's not going to leave us alone. We become gentler with ourselves. We become gentler with others. That's the way it works. Application. What do we do with this? Well, let's review. What's my problem? My desires are irreconcilable and sin is living in me. What can I do about it? I need to control sin, not sins. I need to understand that sin's influence becomes irresistible under law. That the more I try to control sins, the more I am controlled by sin, and I need to develop new covenant faith. Um, application. Number one, develop covenant clarity. 
uh, make it a priority to try to understand the new covenant. Think about what it says. Um, develop a good yes and a good no. What that means when you hear stuff in line with the good covenant, new covenant, say yes. I will never leave you and forsake you. Yes. Your sins make a separation between you and God. No. No, they don't under the new. Um, get help. Find someone who will help to identify law-based thoughts and attitudes relative to spiritual health. Being clear about old versus new is absolutely fundamental. It makes or breaks our spiritual lives. That's what Paul is going to suggest. Uh, secondly, a simple thing to do, practice new covenant confession. Um, we've talked about this before. I'll tell you, every time you practice this, sin within becomes a little bit weaker, a little bit weaker every time you practice it, because this is the distilled essence of the new covenant. Every time you say this to yourself, just a little bit, and it says, sin's never going to go away. It's always going to be there. The tension will always be there, but little by little, it gets weaker and weaker as we think in line with what confession. Confession means to say what God says. You know what God says? The new covenant, he says, I'm still in you, and I'm still with you, and you're still ahead of, good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. So for you to confess means that you say what God says. So say that when you flip somebody off, when you yell at the kids, when you look at something you shouldn't look at, when you swindle somebody. Because what God says to you and what he wants you to do is let this thought, you're still in me, and you're still with me, and good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. Every time you do that, every time, little by little, sin gets weaker as a power. Now, I'm not saying you won't do things, but sin as a power gets weaker. It's it's like, yeah. um, we'll talk about two laws next week, and we'll talk about how, because there is conflict within, tension is unavoidable, but we're not in it alone. Uh, let's stand for closing prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the good news of the new covenant. Uh, thanks for Paul and for his ability to look in and admit things that were shocking for him to admit. That he tells us that his desires are irreconcilable and so are ours. That there was sin living within him and sins living with us, lived within us as well. In terms of what we can do about it, it says about the difference between controlling sins and controlling sin. The way to control sin is by deactivating it, by coming out from under the old covenant and underneath the new. That's the way we do it. There's a difference between controlling sins and controlling sin. We need to develop new covenant faith. Thanks for that. And pray that we continue to learn from Paul as he continues in this uh, part of the book of Romans. In Jesus' name, amen.